Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Rosenchuk. You can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So I have been asked very politely, why am I so high on Odell Beckham Jr.? It went something like this. I can't believe I subscribed to my first Patreon and you have Odell in the same tier as Ridley. Facepalm, WTF did I pay for? Laughing crying emoji. That's that's how polite the question went. I thought we should talk about it. Let's talk about Odell Beckham Jr. and why I have him ranked so highly when nobody else seems to have him ranked very highly. The reason that I have Odell Beckham Jr. ranked highly is because I believe that if you are going to win your fantasy league, you need wide receivers that produce wide receiver one numbers. And there are not very many wide receiver ones out there that have the potential to produce wide receiver one numbers. And you might be thinking, but DFB encounter, Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't done anything in years. And I would agree. But it's not that simple. Football is never that simple. Fantasy football especially is never that simple. So let's dive into why that is not the case. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the size of the pie. Like this is something that everybody knows, right? The Browns don't pass the ball. Kevin Stefanski came from Minnesota. They didn't pass the ball there. Kevin Stefanski came to Cleveland now and they have not passed the ball the first half of the year. When you flip the script though, when you look at early down pass frequency in games, in the close games basically, when you're controlling for close games, you can see what the intention of the team is. And when you look at the Browns for the first 11 weeks of the year, that's you know the beginning of the year and then they had their bye week around week eight and then they had three consecutive monsoon games where ain't nobody passing when you look at that stretch they are the fourth lowest team in intended passes when you flip it and go from week 12 onward including the playoffs they are the fifth highest team when you're looking at this though it's important to note that the end of the year is not more predictive than the entirety of the year that could just be matchups that could be a number of different things what we do know is that the Browns shifted after they got Nick Chubb back and with Kareem Hunt still playing there and no Odell Beckham Jr. They had Jarvis Landry and literally no one else. This is a team completely devoid of pass catching talent outside of the former LSU duo of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. Outside those two, they got nothing else. So when we're looking at this and we see Odell gone, Chubb back and the Browns now focusing on passing the ball, there might be something there. It might be nothing, but there's a chance. And that's really all we're asking for. This same kind of thing happened with the Buffalo Bills, if I recall, in 2019. They started passing the ball towards the end of the year. And now in 2020, they were like the most pass happy team in football. So there's a chance. I'm not saying it's 100% going to happen. I'm saying there is a chance. And when we look at Stefan Diggs last year, Stefan Diggs last year was a player that everyone knew the Bills don't pass, and everyone knew Josh Allen wasn't good at throwing the football. So everyone knew that Stephon Diggs did not have a high ceiling, except for that whole thing about he might have a high ceiling because what if things change? And how I apply this, because you're going to look at my rankings, or if you do look at my rankings, what you'll see is that I'm not very high on a lot of players that play in really low-volume offenses when they're valued highly. If the player is, say, DK Metcalf, and they're taking Russell Wilson out of the kitchen, I don't want DK Metcalf anymore because now they're a bottom-of-the-league passing offense. And he's valued like that doesn't matter, and it does matter. What we like is when it's like Stefan Diggs, and we're looking at Stefan Diggs' profile, Stefan Diggs' history in the NFL, Stefan Diggs' you know projected volume, Stefan Diggs' cost, the fact that it could change was not factored in. He was being priced at his floor. Last year, I was telling the patrons to sell Terry McLaurin, not because I got it wrong. 
I got Terry McLaurin wrong. I will 100% admit that. I was wrong. He actually was good. We should have known. I should have known that he was good. And I failed to identify how that was possible. But when you looked at Terry McLaurin, and I was telling people, telling the patrons, I'm like, you got to sell Terry McLaurin because we don't know yet. We don't know yet. I, we, we didn't know. I just didn't know. I was the one who didn't know. But when they asked me, who do I trade for? I like, well, you get somebody else at his value. And when I looked, it was Stefan Diggs. Like, you got you to gotta pivot from McLaurin who may be terrible, we don't know yet, to Stefan Diggs, who's at least a wide receiver too. Like his volume will be wide receiver two at worst. And if things get better, then he could be a lot higher. I'd never dreamed in a million years he'd be what he was in 2020, which was like wide receiver two overall or wide receiver one overall. I can't recall. I thought he had an outside chance of maybe a wide receiver one season if Josh Allen was even remotely capable. I didn't think that Josh Allen was remotely capable. Another L for me on this episode. You're welcome. But the fact is that Stefan Diggs' volume dictated that he had a high ceiling if it all came together. And at worst, he had a high floor because of his volume. When we're looking at Odell Beckham Jr., we are getting that same vibe. We are looking at a player that is not priced for what if things change. So let's talk about how this would work. Let's talk about like a like a high-level projection that that is just kind of an idea of what could happen. When we look at this, we have Odell Beckham Jr. averaging 25.3% of the team's pass attempts over the past several years, right? He has done that year in and year out. On repeat, the Browns were fifth in the latter half of the season in intended passes. So let's presume that they get up to fifth in overall passes in 2021. That would be 39.2 attempts. 39.2 attempts times 16 games to 627 pass attempts. Odell Beckham Jr. shares 25.3%. That would be 156 targets. That is wide receiver one territory. That is wide receiver one territory overall if things break right. This is obviously best case scenario. Don't go out and buy Odell Beckham Jr. saying that I said he's going to be a wide receiver one because he may not be the wide receiver one. He may not even be a wide receiver one, but it's in his range of outcomes. And you have to take that in consideration. At his cost, people aren't baking that into his range of outcomes. It needs to be there. Anyways, the Browns finished 28th in pass attempts in the regular season with 31.8. That's 31.8 times 16 games is 508 attempts for the season. 508 times 25% or Beckham share is 127 targets. This is what we're talking about with his floor. 127 targets is still a back end tight end or wide receiver one if he has a decent season. If the efficiency's there, he's a back end wide receiver one, which is really exciting. So Ola Beckham Jr., as we know, has been terrible the past three years. In 2018, though, he had a 28.5% target share. In 2019, it was 25.6. And in 2020, it was 25.3. If you exclude the game that he got hurt like 10 plays in, that's a three-year average of 26.47%. That's a really, really strong target share. We chase volume. If you're not chasing volume and you're chasing efficiency, you're doing it wrong. You need to chase the sticky stats. Volume is sticky. Once a player is established, they own their volume. It's theirs. Odell Beckham Jr. has a crazy high ceiling. A crazy high ceiling. And he's a crazy high floor, assuming that they are remotely, remotely competent this year in the passing game. And remember, we're talking about the wide receiver position. If you don't get a wide receiver one, you don't have anything. So when we're looking at Odell Beckham Jr. and where I'm ranking him, it's on the fact that he could be a top five receiver. He could be the wide receiver one overall. He could be a wide receiver one. If he finishes at wide receiver 24, it doesn't matter. Just like a lot of these guys, if they finish at wide receiver 24, it doesn't matter because we need high-end production. If we don't get it, it's not worth it. So you take a swing on the guys that have 
the established volume. That's the swing you need to take in your dynasty leagues, in your redraft leagues, in your daily fantasy leagues, whatever platform you're playing on, whatever type of fantasy football you are playing, you bet on volume. That's where the smart money is. Bet on Odell Beckham Jr. We are about to dive into some Justin Fields. Justin Fields is quickly becoming one of my favorite prospects in this class. There is very little not to like about Justin Fields. So here we go. First things first, there's this myth that Ohio State, that Justin Fields can't be a good quarterback because he played quarterback at Ohio State. No, Ohio State doesn't produce good NFL quarterbacks. Here's the problem with that notion. Ohio State doesn't produce good NFL quarterbacks. Kind of a funny thing to say, but here's the thing. They Since 2003 and 2004, they had a fifth round pick, Craig Krenzel. In 2007, they had a fifth round pick, Troy Smith. In 2016, they had a fourth round pick, Cardale Jones. In the middle, they had some guys that turned into wide receivers like Terrell Pryor. So Ohio State isn't producing good prospects. That's different than not producing NFL quarterbacks. The only quarterback that ever had a chance to come out of Ohio State in the last, I don't know, 20 years-ish is Dwayne Haskins in 2019. And Dwayne Haskins is a really not good prospect in comparison to Justin Fields. Dwayne Haskins actually grades out as a coin flip to me because he was a top 15 pick. He was 15th overall. That matters to some extent. That's the NFL saying this player is good at playing football. We go deeper than that. We go into data and look for trends and look for why these players will or will not succeed. So let's talk about Dwayne Haskins versus Justin Fields, the passer. We're only talking about passing at this point. We are not talking about running where Justin Fields is so much better. But in his age 20 season, Justin Fields put up a 67.2% completion percentage with an 11.2 adjusted yards per attempt with an A dot of 12.6. That's the important number here, 12.6. Remember, completion percentage 67.2, A dot 12.6. Now let's compare this to what Dwayne Haskins did. 70% completion percentage, better than Justin Fields by 2.8 percentage points, but on an 8.6 A dot. That's great. Four yards shorter he was throwing it four yards closer to the line of scrimmage on average than justin fields was and he was a year older than fields when he was doing this this is crazy of course when you are just dumping the ball off and letting your playmakers make plays it will work out you will get some yardage i don't really understand how Dwayne haskins tricked everyone but he did and i mean it's played out the way that it's played out when we look at age 21 season for justin fields this is this is, you know, similar to Dwayne, well, Dwayne Haskins season was at age 21. He only played one year. So Justin Fields, age 21 season, 70.2 completion percentage, 10.1 adjusted yards per attempt, and still an dot of 10.4, still two yards further down the field than Dwayne Haskins. Justin Fields is a true triple threat. He is accurate. He throws deep and the dude can run. There's nothing he can't do in the football. Oh, and, and he's huge. Justin Fields is six foot three, 227 pounds. He's a damn prototype. He runs a four, four, six, 40 yard dash at six, three, 227 pounds. This guy can break fantasy. He can actually break fantasy. He has that potential. The thing that I really like about Justin Fields versus Dwayne Haskins is when you look at their PFF grades at age 20, Justin Fields put up a 92.4 PFF grade. That's third all time. At age 21, he put up a 92.2. At age 20, or for that age, that's seventh all time. Dwayne Haskins put up an 84.9. That's 20th. Justin Fields is a better passer than Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins is basically a zero in the running game. 
Dwayne Haskins ran over his his 40 yard dash was like 504 or something like that. He, like it was crazy slow. Even for a quarterback that's slow. When we look at the rush yards, Justin Fields put up 484 yards his first season, 383 his second season in only 8 games. Justin Fields turned it up a notch in his final season when he led the Ohio State Buckeyes to the national championship game where they were defeated by the heavily favored Alabama Crimson Tide. That team is stacked. Justin Fields held his own. He did well, really well. And he is a triple threat. There are very, very few concerns you can point to with the Justin Fields profile. This stuff about him having a poor work ethic or not processing or only throwing to his first read or whatever, like the guy's throwing it 12 yards down the field and you think that's only his first read every time? He's just sitting in the pocket for eternity while the routes develop way down the, like, come on, like that's, it's, it's illogical. Show me the stats that sh- that says that he only throws to the first read. That is bananas. I, I like I've never actually seen those numbers and where they come from. I would love to know. Justin Fields is is easily easily my quarterback too for fantasy. I can I can understand the appeal. There was a time when I was thinking, you know what? Actually, maybe this Zach Wilson guy is pretty good. I think Zach Wilson is pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But Justin Fields has every dimension that you can ask for. Justin Fields has a much higher ceiling for fantasy football where the Konami code is king. If you look at what the quarterbacks are doing nowadays, we are seeing that, like it used to be, if you're a Konami quarterback, Konami code quarterback, you get into the top 12. Now, all the quarterbacks in the top 12 are Konami code quarterbacks. All of them. Justin Fields is going to fit right in and he might be one of the better ones. Not many quarterbacks have Justin Fields' accuracy. Not many have his consistent excellence. 92.4 PFF grade, 92.2 PFF grade, 67% completion percentage, 70% completion percentage, 12.6 ADOT, 10.4 ADOT. This guy does it all. And now they're they're talking about him falling in the draft for these unsubstantiated claims of poor character or or poor processing or poor work ethic or whatever they are. Nobody can point to a specific example. You know, he doesn't have any off-field concerns that we can actually point to. He doesn't have a DUI. He didn't rush out to midfield and plant a flag. Like He didn't do any of this stuff that, that gives these quarterbacks a bad name. He didn't do any of it. There's nothing that anybody has actually shown other than whispers from the back room of people that are likely trying to take his stock. That's the only explanation because if they're unsubstantiated, it's just rumors. It is just rumors. Don't fall for that stuff. Justin Fields, if if we can when we can measure what Justin Fields can do, he is incredible. Konami core quarterbacks, like I said, they are they are what you need in fantasy football. If you have a Tom Brady and he puts up, you know, 4600 passing yards and 40 touchdowns, he's still only quarterback 9. Quarterback 9. That's not good enough. You need Konami code quarterbacks. There are none better in this class. Well, maybe Trey Lance. Pardon me. It might be Trey Lance, but Justin Fields, polish, his consistent excellence, his everything is so much further ahead than Trey Lance. The the bus factor on a Justin Fields compared to a Trey Lance is not the same. It is nowhere near the same. We've only ever seen one season from Trey Lance at a low level. And he wasn't that good at a lot of the like descriptive metrics that we can look at to tell us how good he was at playing football that year. His 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 stat his stat line is popping like it pops off the page. He had what twenty eight touchdowns and zero interceptions. It's pretty good. He had eleven hundred yards rushing. That's friggin' incredible. But it's only one season and it's at a low level. So we have to have more than one season 
to put Trey Lance in a Justin Fields tier. Zach Wilson doesn't offer what Justin Fields does. Justin Fields, like honestly, by the math, I think Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. The difference is we have actual stuff that is telling us Trevor Lawrence is better than everyone ever, basically. We have film grades showing us that Trevor Lawrence is actually generational. That's one of my big pet peeves is people talk about these generational talents all the time and not in the way that I use it. Like that's just the only one of my tiers, but they're actually talking about generational talents like once in a lifetime. And and then you go back and you look at all the players they've set it at for and they're no different than those other guys. They're not generational. They're the same as everyone else. I mean, they're good prospects. Don't get me wrong, but they're not special in the sense that we've never seen this before. So that's what Trevor Lawrence actually is. Like we have data points that makes Trevor Lawrence look special. But outside of him, Justin Fields is the guy. If you're in a rookie draft and you have the choice to take Justin Fields or virtually anyone not named Trevor Lawrence or Jamar Chase, you need to take Justin Fields. You just need to. You're just going to have to do it. The math says Justin Fields is it. James Conner just signed with the Arizona Cardinals and the patrons, a lot of them did not like the signing. They do not think that James Conner is a very good running back. I disagree. I don't think James Conner is a very good running back, but I certainly don't think he's a very bad running back. There's a huge distinguishment there between being not good and not bad. He's somewhere in the middle for me. If you look at his juke rate last year, he was number 17th in the NFL, 25.5% juke rate from playerprofiler.com. His yards created per touch, 1.32, number 24 in the NFL. These are not great numbers, but they're not bad numbers. They're fine. What's really what's really telling about these numbers, though, is when you compare them to what the Arizona Cardinals already have. In 2020, Kenyon Drake's juke rate was 12.5%. His yards created per touch was a hilarious 0.66. That's it. 0.66 yards created per touch. James Conner was so much better than Kenyon Drake. Of course they won't upgrade from J- from from Drake to Conner. And then Chase Edmonds, like everyone's, you know, hopeful. They're hopeful that, J- that Chase Edmonds is going to turn out to be something. Chase Edmonds isn't it. He's fetch, man. It's not a thing. Never going to be a thing. Chase Edmonds juke rate last year, 16%, number 52 in the NFL. His yards created per touch, 0.91, number 50 in the NFL. Please remember... The James Connors are 25.5% and 1.32 yards per created per touch. He was substantially better than either Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds. And he did it with a whole lot less help. The average defenders in the box, Edmonds had 6.2. Basically, nobody cared when he had the ball. Kenyon Drake, 6.6. Again, nobody cared. Connor had 7.0. That's where we start to see the good running backs get seven plus. That's what we're expecting. James Conner got that in the back or in the in the box. He he did more with less, substantially more with substantially less than the Arizona duo last year. This is a huge upgrade for the Arizona Car- or the Arizona Cardinals. And then the the other side of this is well, I mean, Edmonds can still catch the passes. It's like, well, maybe he can. But when you look at catch rate last year, Edmonds had a 77.9% catch rate. Drake had an 80.6% catch rate. And Connor had an 81.4% catch rate. Connor was the best pass catcher and the best rusher of the three running backs. Connor is going to be the bell cow in Arizona this year. He absolutely is. And this is one of those situations like where if you play with Lamar Jackson, you get 
high efficiency touches because defenders have to respect the rushing quarterback. He's playing with Kyler Murray, one of the best rushing quarterbacks in football. This is a much better situation for James Conner than he had at Pittsburgh last year. And he's a better running back than we saw in Arizona last year. Arizona's running backs last year, I believe, finished 24 and 25 in points per game. James Conner has a chance to finish substantially higher than that. Drake had a 66% opportunity share. I can't see a world in which James Conner doesn't eclipse that. We're talking about probably in the 70% range for James Conner. 70% range running backs, 70% opportunity share running backs are RB1s. That's what we call them because that's how many points they score because volume leads to points we chase volume and we hope for efficiency if i'm a contender that needs james connor or that needs a running back i'm going to get james connor he's the guy i'm going to get his price is not high you probably cannot get him for a third round pick i probably wouldn't even attempt that but you might be able to get him for a second and a third throw in a 22 like try a 2022 second and a third we don't i don't have examples for you because this just happened so i don't know what is going to be the price that you could buy him for but I know I'm interested. I'm not going to sell a first round pick for him. That's for sure. Because this is probably it. This is probably last year that we're going to see James Conner have a real role. After that, we're talking about he's on the downside of his career. It could be over. One of my patrons, Adeko, Adeko, I don't know how to say his name, actually. Kind of funny. He has the ability to pull recent trades. And the recent trades that we've been seeing for James Conner show us 211 is like a reasonable price. I, I would probably pay the 211, even though this class... This draft class has some pretty good players in that range. None of them are really high ceiling, so I don't feel like I'm losing out on a lot. Probably replacement level wide receivers other than maybe Seth Williams if he gets a draft capital in the NFL draft. We'll have to wait and see. I see a trade on here for 211 and a third and a fourth. So kind of right in that ballpark. If I could give, like I said, a 2022 second and a third, I would do that for James Conner if I'm a contender. If I'm a pretender, I'm not because, well, I don't think James Conner is a difference making running back on his own. I think he's a good running back or at least a league average running back that's probably going to get a lot of volume that's what i think james connor is and the other thing is when you have a player like this at the running back position a guy who's locked into volume at the running back position there is demand for these players in season so if you buy him for a second or third right now you might be able to flip him for something worthwhile last year after week two I, I had James Conner on my team. I was rebuilding. I waited. I didn't sell him in the offseason because I needed to see him get on the field and get some touches in week two. Or in week one, James Conner last year, he got benched for yelling at the coach on the sideline. He got benched, barely played in week one. Week two, he was back to his regular complement of snaps, put up, I don't know, 25 points, something like that. And I went out on the trademark and said, hey, anybody need a running back to win the championship? And someone came calling. They offered me Justin Jefferson for James Conner. I easily accepted. The rest is history. I'm very pleased with that trade. I'm not saying that's going to work out for you like that this year. But I am saying there's going to be a market for running backs that score points because they get volume. There always is. You can always find somebody who needs a running back. So unless you're in a massive rebuild, you should get James Conner on your team. Try it out. He's basically younger, cheaper Chris Carson. That's more or less what we're looking at here. James Conner is a running back with a history of production. In 2018, he was running back seven in points per game. In 2019, he was running back 16 in points per game. And in 2020, he had a bit of a down year, but he was still number 25 in points per game. And in 2020, he had four clunkers. Like I mentioned, in week one, he got yelled at the coach and then found his... 
helmet taken away and he was placed firmly on the bench. And then he had three other clunkers in week 9, 10, and 14. Other than that, pretty much every single game was around 15 points or more. He was a quality plug-and-play running back. Week in, week out, with the exception of four weeks and the whole season. And you can get him for so cheap. So cheap. Go and buy James Conner. There is a ton of hate for this player out there. Everybody thinks that he can't be healthy. He can't produce. The thing is, he only missed three games last year. It's not like he missed the whole season. Missed three games. That's not that bad. 2018, I believe he played every game. 2019, he did miss six games though. So, you know. He's probably going to miss a couple games. I'm not going to say he's not going to miss any games. It's the running back position. Everybody misses a couple games. This might be the final act in the James Conner NFL saga. Don't miss it. 